Good morning, Crosspoint. Great to see everyone. You may have a seat. Thank you so much. I want to welcome everyone. Glad to see you. If it's your first time, welcome. If you've been here forever, welcome. We appreciate everyone being here. For those of you joining us online, we appreciate your presence as well. Let us know you're watching. That would be great for our team just to know that all this effort of camera work, AV work, and it's paying off as those of you that are able to stay home wherever you are and enjoy and be blessed by, by the service. Uh, you know, just maybe send out an email every once in a while. I know there's somebody interacting with you right now via uh, online, so just feel free to kind of reach out. Let us know you're, you're watching. That'll, that'll be uh, uplifting to us. But we appreciate you being here. And I think everybody knows, right, if you ever miss a service, all of our sermons, our messages are online. You go to YouTube, we have a YouTube channel, and all the uh, sermons are there, all the past sermons. And I think they get uploaded pretty much the same day. So even today, uh, we would probably have the sermon up later on today, both in English and Spanish. I have some announcements that I want to share with you. And some of these announcements are, are fun. Some of these announcements let you know what God is doing in our church, what's happening in our congregation. And... And many of them are opportunities for you to get involved. And I would highly uh, encourage you to get involved as much as possible in the church. Look, I grew up in the church. I was blessed to grow up in a Christian environment, had great Sunday school teachers, pastors, um, mentors throughout my life. And ever since my early 20s, for sure, started getting involved in youth group and then eventually every single uh, ministry that's pretty much out there I was involved in. My attitude was if, if there's something that I can do and um, I, I want to be able to do it for the Lord. And I can sincerely tell you 26 years later, I don't regret one thing that I've ever done in, in serving the Lord. Uh, my regret is not doing better and more. But I've never regretted decisions that I made to forego something else in order to be at church or serve at church. And I just want to encourage you to do the same. Um, none of us do that perfectly, but you'll see that the more you take steps of faith and say yes to God in, in whatever area it is, he will bless you in ways that you can't even imagine. Mainly, he'll change your heart. He'll change your attitude. He'll change your outlook on life. And that's where we want to be. So here you go. Let's start off with growth groups started this week. I think we started really well. I haven't looked at the latest numbers, but we were right about 80, 90 people. So about 30, 40 of you somehow forgot to sign up or didn't. You missed the first week, and that's not great, but I would highly encourage you to join in the last seven weeks. It's going to be a short trimester. It gives you a chance to kind of just get involved in growth groups and um, go through a book in the Bible. So if you didn't sign up, for whatever reason, maybe the 30 times that I reminded you didn't work, perhaps this one is the one that will do the trick, all right? So keep that in mind. Growth groups are on. You can find all that information at crosspointchristianchurch.com. There's going to be a KMG event. That's a men's gathering event. If you've never been to one, I would highly encourage you to attend. Uh, we purchased 30 tickets. They're $20 each, but see me, first come, first served. Um, it'd be great if we take at least 30. We've taken as many as like 50 guys from our congregation to some of these events. It'll be March 5th, that Saturday, from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. It's through Frank Sontag and his ministry, KMG, Kingdom Men's Gathering. But see me, if, if the money is an issue, don't, 
uh, feel bad about that, just see me. We'll, we'll, take, we'll take care of that. That's March 5th, Saturday, men's event, 8 to 1 p.m. Highly encouraged to attend, guys. Uh, let me tell you something real, I think is real fun. So, I don't know if any of you listen to KKLA, that's uh, 99.5 FM. A lot of great teaching in that, that uh, radio uh, station. Well, there's this thing called Thankful Thursdays. Ever heard of that? No? Okay. Some of you have. If you listen to KKLA, you've heard that. They kind of throw in some commercials. And what KKLA does, they're saying through the pandemic, things are tough. So what they wanted to do is just be nice and have like a bit of a contest where a church member nominates their pastor and their staff, and KKLA provides lunch for them on a Thursday. Well, guess what? Somebody here nominated myself, and we won. So I'll be receiving the pastor of the year. I'm just kidding. It's nothing like that. It's just a thankful Thursday. They're going to bring us lunch on Thursday. That's the day that we usually pass out food during that time. So they're going to bring us lunch and uh, they're going to interview me like maybe three questions and they might play it on the radio if I don't sound too terrible. So I think that'll be fun. And I want to thank Damaris for nominating me. Damaris, you're awesome. We appreciate you. And uh, so maybe you might hear your pastor on the radio and uh, now you know what that, that is about. In the meantime, we'll be enjoying lunch on Thursday, this coming Thursday. Also, speaking of lunch, we're going to have a 5K run. By we, I mean like us. So if you don't show up, it's not going to be great. You have to show up. You got to sign up. You can see the information. There's flyers all over the place. Pick one up. If it's not your thing, then especially you need to sign up. I already signed up. My goal is not to be last, so I need all of you to sign up and help me out with that. I don't know if you guys are runners or whatever, but uh, I am seriously training. Well, not seriously. I am training. I say that seriously, but I'm not seriously training. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? But I, I do want to be part of that. I think it's a nice social event for us as a church to just gather and, uh, and do something fun. I know Beatty and Matthew are, are in charge of that, so you can see them if you have any questions. But I think all the information is, is online. I, I saw the newsletter last night, and uh, the information is on there too. So it's $20. The proceeds for that are going to go towards our food ministry. So I'm excited about that. I think it'll just be a fun thing. All right? So I hope you guys sign up and, and are, are part of that. We'll give you all the information is on there. Lastly, two more things. One is My Safe Harbor coming up this Wednesday. We need your help. I'm not sure. I haven't touched base with, with uh, Jan Doolittle to see how many people have signed up. I don't know if there's 30 of you already signed up and we may not need any more help. My guess is we could probably still use your help. So if you're available on Thursday, which is the 16th, Wednesday, I said Thursday. I'm still thinking thankful Thursday. On Wednesday morning from 8 till about 11 or 12, all the information is on the newsletter again. But see Jen Doolittle, sign up. You'll be blessed by attending uh, this event that we're supporting and collaborating with My Safe Harbor. We just get to serve, set up, clean up. Uh, but you'll be able to see the work that's being done. And, um, and I, I assure you, you'll be blessed. I plan on being there. I hope you, you're able to join us if you're available on Wednesday morning till the afternoon. Okay? And CP Kids. We're glad that CP Kids is back. We kind of held that off during the last month and a half or so. But as of last week, we, we brought that back. So we have child care uh, from, from newborns. We have our, our nursery. And then we have classes for children all the way up to elementary school aged. Um, so we're glad to be able to provide that, but at the same time, we need some helpers and some volunteers and some committed individuals that are looking for a place to serve. So if you're able to carry a baby and you're a nice person and you uh, want to help, you can see Carmen, you can see 
Shella, my wife, or you could see also Eloisa, uh, or just talk, you know, mention it to me. But we're looking for people to help. We're always, every ministry at church, just for the record, is always looking for committed people that want to help. So if you're thinking like, I don't know what to do, talk to myself or any of the elders, and we can point you to several options where you can get involved. All right? Like future teachers or anybody else like that that wants to get involved, that'll be a great place for you to, to be part of that. All right? Great. That's it. That was a lot, but that was really fast. You might have to go online and rewind this to, to just catch up with everything that's going on or check out the newsletter that LV puts out every week. All right. <clears throat> this morning, we get to continue with our uh, messages. And John, we want to take communion. What a, let me say, what a special thing for us to be able to sing. I appreciate our, our uh, worship team this morning. The, this was a bit of a collaboration between the English worship team and the Spanish worship team. Not a full collaboration. We're still working on that. But we're working towards, uh, you know, just uh, helping improve our worship experience. Part of that is our worship team. Keep them in prayer. Whenever you get a chance, give them a nice word of encouragement because we do appreciate what they do. And um, we're looking forward to, to some great things out of there as well. But we want to take communion. So I, was, I mentioned that because as we sing together, and we sing these awesome songs about God being indescribable. What a true statement. I mean, how do you truly describe God? Well, we're going to take a tiny stab at it and say that God is a humble God. That's the title of this morning's sermon, a humble God. And maybe that's not the first thing that comes to mind when we think about this great, awesome God. But our God is a humble God. And that is, that is amazing. We'll get right into that. But if you didn't get one of these as you walked in, please raise your hand. I know that uh, Jason is ready to help you out with that. And I'm pleased to say that if you do walk in through the, through the uh, west side of our building here, we now have a little table with some, with some uh, communion elements in there for you with some proper lighting. Yes. So, uh, and I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. 1 Peter 23, sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. 1 Peter 2, 23 and 24. So we're going to talk about a humble God. And this verse actually correlates with that. Not only will it help us get ready to take communion... But it also speaks of God's humility. Speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is Peter talking about our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return when he suffered. He did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. So the first portion here talks about when, when the Lord Jesus Christ during the Passion Week especially, but people were just saying some vulgar, blasphemous things towards him. They treated him illy. They abused him. And as he was reviled, he says he did not revile in return when he suffered. He did not threaten but instead, he committed himself to him, God the Father, who judges righteously. And we'll talk more about that during our message. But verse 24, speaking more towards 
what we celebrate during communion says, who himself bore our sins in his own body. This is the gospel, beloved. This is substitutionary atonement. You're either carrying your own sins and you're going to pay for them for all eternity in hell, or Jesus literally bore or took on your sins at the cross in his own body. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. And then he quotes from Isaiah, by whose stripes we were healed. Jesus took our penalty. Jesus took our pain. Jesus took our deserved punishment. And that's what we celebrate when we take communion. As you peel back the first layer, this represents his body who Peter tells us through which he bore our sins. Let's take that together. This juice represents the blood that was shed, the price for our sins. Beloved, for all of our sins. And by his grace, we are saved and forgiven. Let's take that together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to you that we get to celebrate communion together. That we proclaim as one body of local believers that you are a Savior. That we believe by the power of your Holy Spirit that we believe this gospel message that you, Lord Jesus, took our sins upon your body and nailed them to the cross. And through that we find forgiveness of our sins. We're grateful. We thank you for that. And we pray as we read here that you would help us to live righteously for your honor and glory. We thank you for allowing us to spend this time together. We pray for your guidance, for your leading. Teach us, Father. Humble us through your word and transform us that we would be ever more like your son, Jesus Christ, for your honor and glory. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Great, beloved. All right, so we're going to have a, a message entitled, A Humble God, and I would love for us to really consider that. A humble God. And obviously the implications here, we want to lift up our God. And I believe he's glorified as we talk about his humility. We know of his power. We see his, his righteous wrath, his perfect everything, his holiness, and yet this all-powerful being chooses to be a humble God. And as a result, being his children, we then ought to be God's children who are humble and are able to reflect God's humility through our lives. I know I mentioned a li- there was a point last week, in, uh, when we, a couple weeks back, we talked about Martha and, and her humility last week. But I think humility is a really big deal. And um, let, me, let me share this verse with you. We're gonna, today, we're going to be ambitious again, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 40. All right, we're going to cover 40 verses, the title, A Humble God. But I want to share this key verse, Psalm 149, verse 4 says, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Beloved, salvation is a theme that runs from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end. And we're going to cover this through Luke. But our Lord Jesus Christ placed a heavy, heavy value 
on humility. And again, humility is probably something that, if we're honest, we all struggle with a lot. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to be able to share this message with you. And my hope is not only that we would see God in a better light, knowing that he is a humble God, but then in retrospect and as application, we would analyze our lives and say, where am I when it comes to humility? Biblical type humility. Most of us are, are, are familiar with John Newton. He, he's, uh, we're, he's probably best known, of course, by be, for being the author of Amazing Grace. Special effects there. <laughs> Amazing Grace. Okay. Uh, we all know the, the hymn, Amazing Grace. We should sing that sometime soon, right? That's an awesome hymn. But he was a, a captain. I mean, check this out. He was a captain of a slave ship. He was a bad man, and he says that about himself, until God got a hold of him, converted him, transformed him, made him a new creature, then dedicated the rest of his life to serve God. And among that service, he would write hymns, and he wrote Amazing Grace, perhaps the most popular song hymn in the whole world. But what I want to say about him, he has a really cool quote as I was kind of studying for this topic of humility. Listen to this quote from John Newton. He said, uh, I am persuaded that love and humility are the highest attainments in the school of Christ and the brightest evidence that he is indeed our master. I'll read it again. I am persuaded, John Newton says, that love and humility are the highest attainments in the school of Christ and the brightest evidences that he is indeed our master. Sometimes we ask the question, how do you know you're a Christian? And the answer sometimes is maybe not what it should be. I'm sure our, our worship team is working on that, right? On that sound. Uh, so many times that answer is not where it should be. But I would submit to you, as John Newton says, love and humility in your life are some of the highest attainments that we can have in the school of Christ if we're Christians. Love and humility. And they're also some of the brightest evidences that we are indeed Christians or that he is our master. So when we talk about humility, we should never feel like, oh, no, you know, I wasn't born with that. It's not in my DNA. Because, you know, my dad and my mom, they're not humble people, so I'm not a humble person. It's not really my fault. We can't be like that. we got to realize that our God is a humble God, that he puts high value on humility, and therefore we need to figure out this, this deal of humility in our lives. So let's take a look at that. The main point this morning is that we glorify God with our lives when we reflect our Lord's humility. We, we glorify God when we reflect God's humility through our lives. When you're a humble person, you are most like Christ. But what is the, um, what happens when we're not humble? What happens when we lack humility? Well, I would say if we lack humility, we would find ourselves full of anger, resentment, bitterness, Jealousy, short-temperedness, 
full of disappointment, living with a sense of entitlement, self-centered, prideful, arrogant. None of these things uh, are anything that we can uh, identify with probably. It's, I really enjoyed thinking, talking, studying about humility. And I realized the more I look into it that a lack of humility produces all kinds of evil things in our lives, sinful things. And the more we grow in humility, the more these things that are natural to us begin to fade away. And that is how God makes us more like Christ. Christ is a perfect being. We're not, but the Holy Spirit's job is trans to transform us, to be more like Christ. And part of that is to make us humble. And I want to address the idea, okay, Mike, so I realize, all right, fine, fine, I'm not humble, okay? What do I do now? I mean, how do you become more humble? What we don't want is to just say, I'm not humble, that's it, take it or leave it. Uh, but if we were to agree and say, yeah, I, I, I see that in my life. I see, you know, this resentment in me. I'm angry, I'm short-tempered, I'm like, not fun to be around. All of that, in part, is a lack of humility. And so if we grow in humility, these things would change. And that's what gives us this testimony of being new creatures in Christ. Are people able to say, you're different? Something is going on with you. Let me ask you this last question as a form of uh, introduction. Are people able to correct you? Are people able to correct you? Can someone feel comfortable to, you, or to come to you and say, hey, Mike, feel really bad and I'm nervous about this but and I prayed about it but I gotta tell you this thing that you do or this thing that you say or this way that you are the way you address people the way you do this the way you do that you know I don't think it's right can people do that and I've mentioned this before or do people say ah you know how he is ah you know how she is are people able to correct you or do people around you have to walk on eggshells beloved Nobody should have to be walking around eggshells around a Christian. That's a really bad sign. But I would dare say most of us, you know, are not where we should be when it comes to humility. And therefore, we need God's word to teach us, to humble us, to, to, to transform us. So let's get right to it because I do have five points that I want to share with you. And we do have 40 verses that we want to cover. So humility it is very helpful, as the title says, that we have a humble God. I think we got to start there. And so when we look at Luke chapter 2, last week we finished chapter 1. So as we start chapter 2, there are, again, so many stories, so many different ways that we could go about studying Luke. But what I chose to do, I'm going to take a big chunk, 40 verses, the first 40 verses, um, or 1 through 40, and look at this idea of God being a humble God. So we're going to see different stories here, different scenarios as Luke narrates his story, and I think one thing that stands out in general in these 40 verses, you have to, when you stand back, you look, you say, you got to say, this is just speaking of God's humility. God's humility. So let's start with point number one. So our title, A Humble God. God shows his humility through point number one. We're going to look at verses one through seven in chapter two. Point number one is a humble birth. A humble birth. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. 
and we're going to see how God chose to be born in a very humble way. And let me submit to you, the fact that God will become human is already an incredible exercise in humility. That God the Almighty would become like one of us, we, we, we can't understand that. Uh, in one of the KMG events, I'll say this really quick. One of the KMG events, one of the pastors was talking about this, and he said, you know what it is for God the Almighty to have become human? It would be, long story short, like us choosing to become a maggot. And even that does not suffice. And I agree with that. We don't understand what humility it took for God to become like one of us. I'll leave it at that. So a humble birth. It says, Luke 2, 1 through 7. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And of course, we know this story during Christmas, right? Four, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The almighty creator of heaven and earth chose to be born in a manger. That speaks of a very humble birth. The fact that he chose to be born entirely is already a very humbling experience and a show of his humility. But the fact that he was born not in a palace, which he very well deserved, not to a fancy royal family, which he indeed belonged to, and he kind of did, sort of, but not in the royal fancy way that we might think about. So this shows his, his humble, his humility, his humble birth. Um, the key verse, obviously verse 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. He was born in a manger. I'll share one verse with you. I told him to go quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 9, really like this verse. Listen to what it says. Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, and he's really talking about money and offering, riches, and look at what he says. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. We can't even understand this, but God had it all. He needed nothing. We have to understand some of these things. God doesn't need us. He's never needed us. He is complete and fulfilled, lacking nothing. But he chooses certain things that we, we are appreciative of. I mean, he chose to create humanity. And then once humanity fell, he chose to redeem us, paying the highest of prices, giving up himself. And here he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, how rich was he? He had everything. And yet, it says, yet for your sakes he became poor 
so that you through his poverty might become rich. I could just read this verse like 10 times and enjoy it every time I read it to you. God, who was perfectly rich, yet became poor for us that through his poverty, we may become rich. He had it all and he gave it up. He laid it all aside and came and was born in a manger under most humble circumstances. That speaks of his humility. So not just his birth, but God shows his humility, point number two, through a humble crowd, a humble crowd. So God's begotten, only begotten, born in a manger. And then God announces to people like, come and see my son. And he reveals that and he invites shepherds. Now, nothing wrong with shepherds now, but back in the day, they were the lowliest of lowest people. It will be like nowadays inviting, nah, I'm not even going to say it, I don't know. You fill that up. Get in trouble if I say something like that. By the way, about a month ago, I was talking about how I met a waiter and I said something that I regret. I said, he's just a waiter. How arrogant, huh? And I didn't mean it that way. He's my buddy now. But it came out that way. So if, if you caught that, I apologize. If you didn't catch that, then don't worry about what I just said. I, I respect and admire waiters, servers, whatever you want to call them. So God makes this announcement. He invites people to come and see my son who was born in a manger. And he makes that invitation, invites shepherds that were out in the field. I don't want to labor that point other to say they were obviously, you know, dirty. They would sleep outside and kind of live along the she with the sheep. And they're not the people that probably you and I would have invited to come and see our firstborn, our only, you know. But I think that shows God's humility. He could have chosen to reveal this information and invite anybody. And he invites shepherds. So starting in verse 8, I'm going to read verse 8 through 20. And this shows God's humility through a humble crowd that he invites to come see his son. Now there was in this same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths laying on a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I mean, God put on this show like nothing else. And there the shepherds like... It's like somebody coming around and giving you tickets to the Rams game, center field, right? 50-yard line, and you're thinking, like, why me? God puts, he invites the shepherds, and then he brings out this hosts of heavenly angels, and they're praising God. I mean, it's, it's this amazing demonstration of God's glory through these, these hosts, these angels. And then when you look at who they are, not performing to, but who they're saying this to, it's just these lowly shepherds in the field. 
I mean, he could have made it where everybody saw that. But no, he chose shepherds to reveal these great news. Verse 15, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has, be, that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. I wonder what they thought, right? Like, why us? And they came with haste and found many, sorry, Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. I mean, really think about it. This is something amazing. This is the Savior of the world, the promised Messiah. And he's born in a manger. And then God says to these shepherds, go and see. It, it, it kind of doesn't make sense to, in many ways, right? He could have done so many things differently. But the way he did it is the perfect way. That's exactly how he wanted it done. And, and I believe part of that is that he's showing his humility. Why? I think he would tell us, if I am the almighty God and I am a humble God and you are my children... I expect you to be like me and be humble. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 says, this is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, and he's, uh, listen to what he says. He says, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. <laughs> he's basically telling the church, he says, look around. Look at who I chose. Not too many PhDs, not too many wealthy people, not too many popular individuals. And then later on he says that God chooses the low things, the humble things, so that he can reveal his glory. So that we wouldn't take credit and start thinking that we are children of God because obviously we're the smartest ones out there. Right? Or... He obviously chose us because we're the humblest. Like he said, that, that, that doesn't work. He, he, and he, Paul tells these people, look around. Take a look at who I'm choosing, and you're going to notice that it's not the most popular. Well, you know, when I was a teenager, I used to think, man, I'll confess to you. So I grew up in the 90s, right? I mean, I graduated from high school in 93. Some of you guys are thinking, like, 1893? No, 1993. And... And, my, and I played basketball and volleyball in high school, so I was a bit of an athlete. I like, enjoyed playing sports, I'll put it that way. And, of course, Michael Jordan was, you know, for you young ones, you just hear about him. But we, you know, we, I, I was there in spirit as he started winning all those championships in a row and such. And so, um, so I was a big fan. And so I used to think as a teenager, I was already a Christian, I used to think, like, man, I should pray for Michael Jordan for his salvation. And you know what I did this week? Because I was thinking about this. I prayed for him again. And how cool that Randy Shepard, right, from North Carolina. Uh, cool connection. So I, I, but the, my point is I used to think as a teenager, man, if, if Michael Jordan was to become a Christian, you know, can you imagine how many people that follow him? And that was before Instagram and all that good stuff. 
but he had a big pool. And so in my mind, I used to think, man, if God would only choose these high people, profile people, maybe, maybe the kingdom could, you know, gain some momentum. And that's faulty thinking. I mean, God wants to save everyone. And we certainly want Michael Jordan and everybody else to, to, to be saved. I don't know where everybody's at. But my point is that God doesn't need people that we esteem highly. He chooses the lowly. And yeah, sometimes we'll choose uh, Tim Tebow, who's a high-profile individual, and, and use them mightily. But for us, we are content. We should be content knowing that, that really we are nothing, beloved. You know what it means to be human? The word human comes from dust. The fact that God created us from the dust of the ground. We're dust. We're dirt. And when we die, this body will return back to the dirt where it came from. But our value is not our body. Our value is Christ in us and our soul and that breath of life that he breathed into Adam as we became living beings through him. But anyways, uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty six. He tells them, look around you, realize there's not that many high-profile people, and God does that to show his greatness. But it also shows his humility and that he chooses people that, that are not, quote-unquote, the greatest or most popular or high-profile. So God shows his humility through his humble birth, humble crowd, the shepherds. And point number three, he shows his humility through a humble offering. Verses 21 through 24, look at what happens here. I know we're zooming through this reading here. But 21 through 24, our Lord is now born eight days later, according to the law. They are to bring him to the temple and have him circumcised. And as they bring him to be circumcised, they are to bring an offering, a sacrifice. And look at what they do. And when eight days came completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of the purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, belongs to the Lord, verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So when they came to give the, the offering of the, that sacrifice, they gave two turtle doves or two pigeons, um, Joseph and Mary did, his parents. So basically the Lord's parents, Joseph and Mary, were poor. So if you're going to send forth your child to be taken care of by someone, you're going to choose somebody who's poor with limited means, or are you going to try to choose the best possible family that could provide everything for your child? most of us would go with the latter but God went with the former he sends them to humble parents why do I say that verse Leviticus 12 9 <clears throat> so here Luke quotes it says they did as it was commanded to them by the law and what you read in the law is that when that sacrifice or that uh, offering was to be made it says in Leviticus 12 9 and if she is not able to bring a lamb then she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one as a burnt offering and the other as a sin offering, so that the priest shall make atonement for her and she will be clean. So the law actually says you are to bring a lamb and a turtle dove or a pigeon. But then God makes this provision for poor people. And he says if you can't bring a lamb, then bring two turtle doves. But you got to bring something, which is something that we see in the Old Testament. You got to bring something. And you should bring a lamb because God is worthy. 
But if you can't bring a lamb, then just bring two turtle doves. And Joseph and Mary couldn't bring a lamb is the implication, the obvious implication, because they couldn't afford to, and they brought two turtle doves. You didn't, uh, in case somebody thinking, like, maybe they could, but they just didn't want to. Mm, Mary and Joseph wouldn't have done that. If they could have brought a lamb, they would have brought a lamb. The best lamb they could have brought. But they brought two pigeon doves. They were poor. So God shows his humility through this humble offering. Point number four. Humble recognitions. So when they bring the Lord to the temple, uh, God had already spoken to, to a couple of people. And that's what we're going to read. But Christ is recognized by two people. And again, it wasn't the high priest. It wasn't the governor. It wasn't the... Uh, it, look at who, who it was. So let, let me read verses 25 through 38. And our Lord, as a baby, as he's brought to the temple, is going to be recognized by two people. Look at who they were. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was, a just, and, was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came to the, by the Spirit into the temple, and when his parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and to the glory and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed him and, and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So here's Simeon that had been revealed by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Christ. But who's Simeon? I mean, he was a just and devout person, which is great. But as far as popular or influential or powerful, there's nothing that indicates that. Verse 36, here's another person. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, who was of great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow for about, of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers day and night. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So there's another woman, an older woman who had been widowed for 84 years or was an 84-year-old widow. And these are the people that God chose to reveal to them who Christ was. Everybody else, we got to understand this. Nobody realized that this was the Christ. They knew Mary. Some of them knew Joseph. But most of them just saw a baby. And it was very few people that understood or had this special insight given by God. But you take a look at who God chose to reveal these things to, and they were not very impressive individuals by, by you know, our culture standards. I believe that shows God's humility. Let me share with you the last point. So that was humble recognitions by these two individuals. A humble town. We're almost done. Verse 39 and 40. 
All right? A humble town. So when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Galilee and Nazareth was, and we mentioned this already, but that was not exactly a place that you would uh, brag about. Where are you from? Nazareth. Nazareth. John 146, Nathanael said to him, to Philip, Call any, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. So there was an understanding in those days that Nazareth, you just didn't expect anything from Nazareth. But guess what? That is where Jesus grew up. That's where his parents were from. He grew up in the barrio of Nazareth where people thought nothing good comes out of Nazareth. I believe all of that, you know, there's so many things that we could have talked about here, but I wanted to share with you this idea, this fact that our God is a humble God. Our God is a humble God. And I want to share one more, um, one more quote. This is from a Puritan from the 17th century, John Flavel or Flavel. I don't know. I don't think he minds either way. But he says, they that know God will be humble. And they that know themselves cannot be proud. Man, these people were deep in thought. I'll read it again. They that know God will be humble. And they that know themselves cannot be proud. I, I find myself mentioning this a lot, right? That a proud or arrogant Christian is such a contradiction. It's problematic. And I would dare say that most of us probably think that we're more humble than we actually are. Right? I would imagine that when I ask questions like, you know, can people correct you? You probably think about the one person that can correct you. Mainly like your wife, men. <laughs> or, or maybe your spouse or your parent. But what about other people that are beneath you? You know. I suppose maybe if Keith comes around and calls something to your attention, you might say, like, yeah, you're right. But if somebody else comes around and tells you something like, well, who do you think you are telling me this? What about you? We're on the same boat. But I love this because this gets to the question of, all right, Mike, all right, guilty as, as charged. I'm not humble. I'm not as humble as I should be, for sure. Actually, I'm a little arrogant and proud. How do I become humble? If God puts such a high value on humility and he himself is humble, how do I become humble? That is actually a very great question. Let's say we all assume and say, yeah, I want to be more humble. And this week I'm going to work on being more humble. How do you do that? I would say, and I'm sure of this, it, it, I think that quote gives us the key to, to the answer. If you know God, you will be humble. But the question is, do you know God? And then if you know yourself truly, the way God sees you, and you know yourself, you can't be proud. You can't be proud. You'll realize what the Bible says, that even our best deeds are like filthy rags in his presence. What? So mean. But that is, that is where we're at. My pastor of old, wisest person I believe I've ever known, one time he said, 
how do you humble yourself? How do you become more humble? And I have my pen ready, my notebook. Yeah. Just humble yourself. Like, oh, there's got to be more to that. You know, humility is a, is, is, a, is a choice that you have to make. You have to choose to be humble. But what's going to help you is the Holy Spirit. If you get close to God, if you know God, if you're really honest about who you are, and you realize what God has done for us, that despite of who I am, Christ took my penalty, and he offers me forgiveness, and he takes me from the kingdom of darkness and puts me in the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of light. I don't deserve that. Not even close. And when we, be begin, when we begin to understand, it goes back to the gospel. That transforms us. That changes us. And as a result, we become more like our God, a humble God. I'm glad he's a humble God. I'm glad he's a humble father. Because I'd be in serious trouble if he wasn't. How does he put up with us? How does he put up with you? How does he put up with us? I mean, think about it. The humility that it requires for him not to just zap us all. Because we all deserve to. And yet in his humility, he shows us his love, his mercy, and his grace. He's a good, good father. Next week, we're going to talk about parenting within our, our, uh, um, our reading here. So we'll see what the Lord has for us then. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to you for allowing us this time to spend it meditating in your word. We thank you for your truths. We thank you for this, these stories, these truths that we find here in Luke chapter 2 that speak of your humility, among many other things. But, Father, we want to lift up your holy name and recognize that you, though being perfect and holy, eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, immutable, you choose to be a humble God. We pray for forgiveness for our pride and arrogance, for our lack of humility. But we also pray, Father, that you would help us with that. Help us to be obedient. Help us to be realistic in our view of ourselves and, and honest in our view of you. Help us to be in your word that we would know you and in knowing you, we would be humble. And in understanding ourselves truly, we would not be proud. We thank you for your word. We bless your holy name. We ask that you would dismiss us with your blessing. We pray in the mighty and wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. God bless you, beloved. You're dismissed.